Oh, welcome back, everybody. It's Friday. Y'all know what that means. It's time to preview another card. Dominic, the end of another week. How are you doing, my friend? Doing just great. And you know what I like a lot about this card, Noah? What's that? It's UFC Vegas 14 on November. Uh-huh. Wait for it. 14th. Wow. Yes. Hey, that's just another reason for us to <laughs> for you guys to check out these cards. And also, my favorite number. So, there you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. So, obviously, it's a big show for those reasons. Clearly, it's that's Dom's the only reason number. why. <laughs> Forget it's about Dom's the fight. But today, obviously, we're going to be giving you our predictions, our thoughts on the main card this Saturday. Hashtag UFC Vegas 14. It's got that new headliner going on. Rafael Dos Anjos, the former lightweight champion, going up against Paul Felder, the commentator, the cornerman, the fighter. He does it all. He checks all the boxes. Yeah. get you, Ladies, get you a man who can do <laughs> all three. Yes. Or me like and Noah. Paul or <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Anyways. <laughs> We're going to be breaking all that down a little bit later, but y'all know what a time it is. Yeah. It's time for the news. The news. We got a lot. We do. And fun one this week, it's all fight announcements. That is it. true. This is true. So we're going to start with back-to-back announcements here for January 30th, fight night. That's going to be happening on that day. We start with... Uh, one that, uh, honestly, if it was 10 years ago, this fight would make sense. <laughs> it makes sense now. This is true. We got Matt Brown, one of our Ohio boys, is scheduled to fight Carlos Condit. Dom, it's a blast from the past. Yes. What are your thoughts on this matchup? You can't make a better matchup in terms of where both guys are in their career at this point in time. Both are obviously on their way out, but still have gas left in the tank. They've never fought each other, which is actually kind of insane considering how long they both have been in the UFC. And this has a lot of potential from a uh, stylistic standpoint to be a lot of fun. It doesn't matter how old these dudes are. When they got gas in the tank and want to fight, they're going to put on a show. Neither one of these guys are boring. I think we see fireworks here. And like you said, it's a great blast from the past. Agreed. I think this is a great setup for someone to get finished, too, because yes. Matt Brown has 22 wins, 20 of them by finish, while Carlos Condit's got 31 wins, 28 of them are by finish. That's a pretty good percentage, I would say, there, Dom. Yeah, and he damn near put out Court McGee just uh, not long ago, so he's still yeah. got it. Yeah, so you, you've seen uh, Carlos Condit. We, we talked about him a little bit. He was on the prelims, though, of his last fight against Court McGee, a fight that he won by unanimous decision. He looked good in that fight. Matt Brown, on the other hand, uh, fought back in May on that Overeem versus Walt Harris card. He fought Miguel Baeza. It was a fight. Uh, he looked good early, uh, basically round one. He was looking good. Uh, but round two, Miguel hit him with some nice shots, put him out pretty much right away in the second round. 
Uh, it was tough. It was a very, I mean, it was a tough knockout for him to take. But uh, before that, he has a win over Ben Saunders by knockout and then Diego Sanchez before him. So uh, it's not been all bad for Matt Brown, but both these guys have been, uh, there's a lot of red on their record in the last couple of years. So it's, uh, I think these are the kind of matchups you want to see for these guys at this point. If they're going to keep fighting, you might as well pair them up with one another, I would say. Yep. And uh, I, I think it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's great for the longtime fans, too. This will be a fun one for sure. Agreed. And that'll be happening on January 30th, 2021, along with uh, this next bit of news here. As uh, this one is uh, hot off the presses, Dom. We got Kelvin Gastelum and Ian Heinish scheduled for January 30th. Now, Ian Heinish was supposed to fight last weekend. He got COVID the day of the card, correct? Yeah, the day of. He was supposed to fight Brendan Allen. Yeah, he was supposed to fight Brendan Allen, a really tough prospect, 24-year-old kid. Now he's going up against a completely different fighter, a different a guy who's in a different place right now, Kelvin Gastelum, who just a year, year and a half ago was fighting for an interim belt and a fight of the year with Israel Adesanya. And now here a year and a half later, he's lost three straight. People are wondering if his uh, career is over. This is a big fight for both guys, I would say. Yeah, really big for Ian. You really um, caught me off guard with this one. I did not see it. And uh, if you're Ian, you went from, you know, fighting an unranked prospect in Brendan Allen that has a lot of downside for you. Now all of a sudden you get COVID and you get blessed with a number eight ranked Kelvin Gastelum and you're probably going to be way high on a main card of a fight night. Um, and if you win, you're going to crack top ten. Not a bad trade-off if you're Ian Heinish. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you there. It's number eight, Kelvin Gastelum. Ian Heinish is number 15. Um, this is big for both guys. For Heinish, this gives him a chance to jump into that top ten potentially. While for Kelvin... Again, he's lost three straight. You have to wonder. And that in that last fight he had against Jack Hermanson, a fight that a lot of people thought he it would be kind of a bounce back for him. Uh, he ends up losing via heel hook in about a minute. Not the best of performances there. So there's a lot of questions about kind of the future of his career. And this gives him a chance to kind of shut the haters up and keep his spot in the top 10. But dangerous, dangerous fight here for him, I would say. Oh, yeah. But I like it. I don't I don't like it that he's playing it safe. I, I think it's good that he's taken, giving a guy like Ian Heinish a chance. It's a, it's a fight for Kelvin where he can still prove he's got it to beat ranked guys, but not much more than that. But for Ian, it's very big name for him, biggest name, biggest win of his resume if he were to get the win. I do like it. It's actually a pretty fun matchup stylistic-wise, too. That, that should be a good one. Yep. And both of those will be on January 30th, 2021. We move on to a bit of news happening, actually, about a week from now. As uh, the PFL, for those of you that don't know, one of the bigger MMA promotions, kind of in that B tier under the UFC, they have not been putting on fights since the pandemic started. And, oh, you know, due to that, 
a lot. They've had a lot of disgruntled fighters who are still under contract who want to be fighting during this time, but PFL not putting on events makes it to where they can't. Now, one of their biggest stars is a woman by the name of Kayla Harrison. Oh, now who's she, Noah? Now, Kayla Harrison <laughs> is a dominant women's lightweight fighter for them. Uh, also a gold medal in judo in the Olympic Games twice. Uh, so she's got that Ronda Rousey vibes to her. Someone's, some would say she's kind of a big deal. She, some would say. Especially people in our area. Yes. Because she comes from the same county as us. Yeah, she literally is from about 10 minutes from where we grew up, essentially. Say, yeah, for me, it's probably like five. Uh, literally, I could walk probably to where she went to high school, which is crazy. But she uh, has been one of the more disgruntled fighters during this time because, again, she's not able to fight. She wants to fight. So she's managed by Ali Abdelaziz. Yeah, shocker. <laughs> a big fighter being managed by Ali Abdelaziz. Who would have thought? Not me. <laughs> but she's been probably the biggest name in a potential lawsuit against the PFL that's came about by a few of these fighters under their contract. Um, essentially, they just want to fight. They want to be released from their contracts or be, at least be granted uh, opportunities to fight elsewhere until the PFL can put on events again. Um, she was probably the biggest name on that lawsuit. Well, the PFL announced that she will be fighting Courtney King at Invicta FC 43 on November 20th. And? It's at Featherweight. Yes. That is, for me, the biggest takeaway. Obviously, this is huge, a cross-promotional thing. But the fact that she's going down to women's Featherweight excites me for the future for those of you that don't know kayla harrison is a lightweight fighter at the in the pfl that's right lightweight 155 pounds um so this is very intriguing to me for potentially coming over to the ufc somewhere down the line there's a lot to break down here there really is so you can look at it from a, a million different angles the one that you're talking about is a good one to start. Kayla Harrison has been someone that, you know, has been kind of this, probably one of the biggest prospects that's been on the UFC's radar for a while now. However, she is a lightweight fighter in her entire career. UFC does not have a women's lightweight division, nor do I ever see them getting one. I... They struggle They struggle enough as is to get a featherweight division together. Right. But... Irv coming down to featherweight to fight Courtney King at Invicta, which is Invicta is one of the UFCs, especially for their women. It's yeah, I mean, their, they breed their... these women's fighters and feed them right into the UFC all the time. Yeah. Invicta is a is a hotbed for women's prospects for the UFC. It's essentially the women's minor leagues. That's a term I use a lot on here or an analogy I use a lot. And I think it makes sense here. And Kayla is going to be fighting on that card on November twentieth at featherweight. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fingers pointing to potentially her 
making a splash in the UFC, depending on how this performance goes. I'm curious on how the weight cut will be for her, to be honest. That uh, is very intriguing to me as well. I mean, she's a big girl, very built, very muscular. I don't foresee this being an easy weight cut, but then again, she hasn't been fighting all year. Maybe she's been transforming her body this whole time, you know? That's true. On the other hand, you have to wonder, the PFL is essentially granting this fight for her. Now, it's obvious they probably didn't want to be taking court over the whole thing, so they are kind of backed into a corner where they, they basically had to give her a fight, and it couldn't be something that they were putting on because they don't have the money to do so, I'm assuming. But, you know, there's a lot of questions on... I don't know. It, the PFL co-promoting with Invicta here is a big deal, but... Again, with all these uh, ramifications in the background about potentially lawsuits and everything else, you have to wonder, you know, if the PFL really wanted to do this or if this was mostly a uh, a move that was kind of forced on them. Mm-hmm. Which I can't blame Kayla Harrison here because she wants to fight. She hasn't been able to fight all year because of this pandemic and PFL understandably isn't able to put on fights right now. It's, it's like a, it's, it's a tough situation for everyone, but you ultimately, I'm going to decide, I'm going to stick to the side of fighters here and she wants to fight. You need to let her fight. If you can't put on events right now, right. But she's going up against Courtney King, who is a battle tested women's fighter for Invicta. She's four and one. She's fought at Invicta uh, two times prior. She's also fought for LFA once. Uh, She's fought for Fury FC. She's battle-tested. I think that uh, this will be a good fight for Kayla to kind of gauge where she's at. Especially in a new weight class. Yeah. Um, Courtney King is a natural featherweight. That's that's been her weight class. So it'll be good to see kind of you know, the assumption is is that this will be for Kayla to put on a show. And depending on how she looks here, it'll really show how ready she is to potentially make a splash in the UFC. Right now, everybody, the hype is is that she's, you know, when she comes in the UFC, she might be fighting for a belt almost immediately. She's essentially looked at as like the one that can potentially stop Amanda at this point, considering no one in the UFC seems to be close. Yeah, and she's in the prime of her career. She's thirty years old right now, so it makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of there's a lot of reason to believe that, uh, depending on how this performance goes for her at Invicta, that you might be seeing her in the UFC very soon. Oh yeah, you can bet the UFC are going to have their eyes on this one. As soon as they heard the word featherweight, their alarm started sounding. I'd have to imagine <laughs> over there in the war room. Yeah. So, uh, any other final thoughts on this, Dom? can't wait buddy it's we're literally a week out from it i i'm gonna have to try and find that somewhere i don't have fight pass to watch invicta but i might have to cop it just for that buddy yeah no i i I completely hear you there um we're gonna move on to another announcement for women's featherweight here Uh, this is the only fight announcement where we are losing a fight so it sucks but our main event for UFC 256, originally scheduled to be for women's featherweight belt, Amanda Nunes, Megan Anderson, 
it's off. Amanda Nunes had to pull out the fight due to an injury. So that fight is no longer happening at UFC 256. It looks like it's going to be rebooked for early 2021. Um, Dom, do you foresee maybe another title fight being added, or do you just see them sticking with Jan versus Aljo as a main event, or how do you see this playing out? It's crazy we're only a month out. I'd like to think they try and get something on there. Um, what could it be? That's a very loaded question and a hard question to answer. But yes, long story short, I think they get some sort of fight on there. That may not be as important, obviously, as a title fight, but they're going to do something. It's their last pay-per-view of the year. Uh, you have Jan and Sterling, which is, which is a very great um, fight, a fight everybody wants to see. It's good that uh, people want to see people in that bantamweight division right now. It's it can be tougher for those lighter weight classes, but this bantamweight division's on fire right now. So hopefully those guys actually get the spotlight and can just keep the main event now. But yes, I do think something's going to be added that the fans like. Um, I'll present an option here. Obviously, it's one of many options, but one that stuck out to me: a title fight that's pretty much set in stone is going to happen but we haven't heard much about dates for it. How about Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega? That would be fun. That would I mean, be fun. It's, it's, it's been the, they've ever since Ortega's performance against Korean Zombie. They said that's the fight to make. I haven't heard anything about potential dates for that yet. Vol- so it, I, I don't know being how like uh, intelligent Volk is about his fighting and all that crazy stuff that's a tough fight to take on a month's notice if i'm him i'm not taking it but would i complain if it was on there absolutely not see my bigger question would be if ortega is ready is healthy and mm-hmm. ready for that on a month month out you know it's uh it's interesting there's a, there's a lot of title fights that are kind of being looked for the first three months of 2021. Yeah, I mean, you got to think uh, Wei Li Zhang and Rose has got to be happening soon. You know, dude, I didn't even think about that. That's yeah. another one. That, uh, yeah, that's another one I wouldn't mind seeing on this card. Uh, I get it. It's tough to put a car uh, a, a title fight on there with the month out, but kind of hope that they do. I hope they. I mean, obviously, I hope they do. But I would like to see maybe one more title fight on this card. So. Normally, I wouldn't be like that, but it's just because it's the end of the year. Uh, you'd like to see probably more than one title fight just for consistency's sake. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that Nunes and Anderson is off, but I'm glad, I will be happy to see. Uh, it looks like Yad and Alja will end up being the main event, which uh, I am not against. I like those guys getting that kind of platform. That's a big one. People have been waiting on this forever. They deserve it. Agreed. So we're going to move on to back-to-back heavyweight fight announcements here. Likely back-to-back fight night main events announced. So uh, we're going to start with one that's actually happened in 2021. February 6th. It's the day after my mom's birthday, so shout out to her. There you go. Alistair Overeem. One last ride. (laughs) He's on his last hurrah for getting a title. He's going up against Drago, Alexander Volkov. 
That's a big fight. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, we've got number five versus number six. Uh, I don't know if it was announced as a main event or not, but I would assume. Is that a main event, did you say? I'm pretty sure they said it would be the main event. Yeah, I'd have to imagine. So that's a great fight. Um, I was expecting, and I think you were too, the rematch between Overeem and Rosenstroik. Uh, simply because Overeem was arguably winning the fight, then it got knocked out with like a couple seconds left. However, the UFC steered away from that. Volkov just came off of a big win uh, recently. So did Overeem. They've not fought each other, which is actually insane. It seems like everybody in this top six has fought each other. Um, so this is a fun one. It makes sense, um, and it's a way for both guys to just Really, they're just going to stay stagnant there in the top six. I mean, the heavyweight division is so top-heavy. We talk about this all the time. And there's so many uncertainties. You've got Stipe and Ganu, but you don't know when that's going to happen. John Jones is sitting out, waiting to do something. Uh, and then the one we're going to talk about in a second is in a couple weeks. It's just so weird, this division right now. But, yes, I love the fight, and I think it's a great fight. Yeah, I, I completely agree with your sentiments there. I get it that... It- it doesn't move the needle too much, at least as much as you would like it to when you have number five versus number six. I mean, ultimately, whoever wins this, probably not going to be too much closer to a title shot than they were before the fight, which I don't, I don't know if that's a hot take to say that, but it's uh, unfortunately potentially true because there is just so much going on. That's uncertain. There's so much uncertainty at the top of the heap. Stipe and Ngannou, too, looks like it's going to happen. But when, as you mentioned, John Jones, who even knows if he's ever going to fight a heavyweight? Because now you got him and Adesanya, potentially a light heavyweight. It's, I don't know, man. It's, it's definitely, it gives me a headache <laughs> just thinking about it. But as for this matchup, it's nice to see you got two guys who haven't fought each other. They're side by side in the rankings. It's smart matchmaking. It's likely going to be a a striker versus striker affair here. Uh, So, you know, Overeem's been fighting forever. Volkov, the former Bellator heavyweight champion. Both these guys have reached the top of the top outside of the UFC. As I mentioned, Volkov, Bellator heavyweight champion. Overeem's been heavyweight champion everywhere but UFC. So this is big for these guys because they're yet to really reach the top of the mountain in the UFC. You'd like to think after this one, each guy would be one win away from a title. I'd have to imagine. You would like to think so. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know. There's two. I need to. I need to get before I can say that for sure. I need Stipe and Ngani to be booked and like signed and ready to go. <laughs> Because that will really be more telling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. That fight needs to get done. Because think about it. Think about it. If we don't see that fight until August, like August 2021, then maybe they're not one fight away. Mm -hmm. It's true. (laughs) But if it's happening in March, like uh, has been kind of the rumors, then maybe they are. Yeah. It's, uh, It's tough to say. But I love the matchup, and with that, I'm going to go ahead and transition into the other 
heavyweight announcement. This one happening on November 28th, so right around the corner here. A little uh, little post-Thanksgiving uh, UFC action for you. Oh, that's a big one, too. Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis headlining that card. This is number two versus number four. Poster is, is badass, by the way. I, I love the poster. <laughs> I, I really do. And this matchup, Dom, I mean, this is the matchup we thought should happen. Yeah, we talked about play. this way back at uh, our very first episode, I think. Yeah, when Derek Lewis beat Alexi Olenek, we said this was the matchup for him. Um, still stand by that. Curtis Blades, this is going to be a tough matchup for him, though, against Curtis Blades. I want to see Curtis Blades be tested. But it's like, obviously, he's he's got the boogeyman, Francis Ngannou, who's finished him twice. But if you look at, like, their last fight, uh, it happened in China. Ngannou finished the fight in, like, less than a minute. But it was, like, it wasn't the most satisfying of ways to end. It looked like it was kind of like, again, you know that Ngannou power, how it can just kind of put anybody away. But it kind of like, I honestly thought like it was kind of a suspect, uh, a suspect finish to the fight. Like you, I'm not sure if the ref should have stopped it. But I don't think it was as convincing as the first did. time. Yeah, like Blades was hurt, but when you're used to Ngannou like straight up murdering people, <laughs> it felt like maybe they should have let. I don't know. Maybe they shouldn't have let it go, but it feels like. Blades was still in it since he was still alive. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, that's not the way it goes, though. Ngannou gets that TKO win in, like, 45 seconds. But what I'm saying is I want to see Blades be tested over a longer fight. You know, the I look at a performance he had against, like, Overeem. I talk about that one a lot. That was terrifying. The elbows from the top. Yes, but the but uh, Blades went into that fight with a chip on his shoulder because he had been pushed. That fight was originally going to be on the main card. Got put at the top of the prelims so that CM Punk and Mike Jackson could uh, play patty cake for fifteen minutes on the main card. So he fought, he came in with a chip on his shoulder. I need to see that kind of performance from Blades again. As you saw, like, in his last fight with Volkov, he just... Sure, he was... Uh-oh. But heavyweights in the world. You cut out. But... Oh, can you still hear me, though? Yeah, I hear you now, but you cut out Tom? as you were going into the Volkov fight. Oh, I did? Yeah. Uh, all I was saying was that the Volkov was super one-sided for Blades, and Volkov being one of the top heavyweights in the world. Like, sure, it's impressive. But yet, it, it didn't... Nothing about that fight told me that Blade should be fighting for a title. It didn't inspire me to root for him to get a title shot. Yeah, it's weird because Blades essentially dominates everybody he steps in the octagon against outside of Francis, yet nobody likes him or uh, appreciates him. He's an incredible grappler. He definitely has the advantage here in a fight against Derek Lewis. However, we all know Derek has that one-punch power. He's always there, no matter what round it is. Um, you can ask Volkov about that one. But uh, I just think on paper, this is a very, very tough fight for Derek. 
but it's it's big if he were to win this, especially by KO. He's he's right there again, so it's tough. And Blades, I just feel like as good as he is and all the wins he has, like you said, people just don't enjoy watching him as much. But if he can do something like he did against uh, Overeem here to Derek Lewis, it would send a lot of messages. So completely agree. I just want to see him fight with more of a chip on his shoulder. That's all I'm asking for. But I guess that's why I don't fight. <laughs> Easier said so, than done, right? Yeah. So uh, we're going to cap off with pretty much our biggest news story probably for the whole week. Um, originally scheduled to headline our December 5th fight night. That's the week before uh, UFC 256 was Darren Till and Jack Manson, which would have been a big fight. A lot of stakes involved in that middleweight division. However, Darren Till is officially out. So who's stepping in to fight? Hmm. None other than unranked Kevin Holland. And he's getting the biggest opportunity of his career. Oh, yeah. As he's going to be going up against Jack Hermanson, who just... Oh, uh, you're cutting out a little. Hello. Um, you cut out again. Cut out. Can you hear me? I hear you. I hear you. I cut out again. Yeah, yeah. So we're good now. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, did you? Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, did you hear what I said? <laughs> no, you cut out when you started going into Kevin Holland. Uh, all I was saying was that he's fighting the number four ranked middleweight in the world in Jack Hermanson. So it's a big opportunity for him, obviously. This came but out of nowhere. A huge. This is a huge step up. So, you know, Holland had been calling for a fight with Mike Perry. That fight that Perry's got against Tim Means, that was what Kevin Holland was looking for. And that's that would have made a lot of sense. But somehow he's been given a main event slot here against the top five middleweights. So potentially Holland could go from unranked to top five and potentially be fighting for a belt here soon, all within a couple months, calling Hamzat Chimaev. Yeah, I was gonna say two weeks after this, Hamzat's gonna attempt to do the same thing. So this is this fight came out of left field. I feel bad for Darren Till. Hopefully nothing too serious there injury wise and that he can bounce back quickly. Uh, but this is huge for Kevin Holland, man. He was ready. He was talking that shit after his most recent win, calling out the champ, calling out everybody, Mike Perry. And um, people like watching him fight. People like listening to him talk. And here he is against the Joker, Jack Hermanson. If he can come on here in short notice and beat a guy like Hermanson and go 5-0 and on the year, by the way, five wins in 2020, this this guy might be fighter of the year here. I mean, fighter of the year is going to be probably between Holland or Hamzat. So this is huge, absolutely huge. Yeah, I mean, really, their their main events in December could potentially determine who is the fighter of the year. Yep. And uh, Hamzat doing and like kind of what's funny here is that somewhere down the line, these two could be looking at a matchup against each other, depending on how it goes. Yep. Hamzat has shown that he'll fight at welterweight or middleweight. 
Uh, obviously, his big fight coming up is at welterweight, so it's a division lower than Holland's. But uh, these guys have basically been the bigger, biggest winners of probably, I guess, the way the UFC's been doing things in this quarantine period. Uh, they've been the biggest winners of this whole apex, especially like Holland at the apex. Like he's been, he's been the guy. And then you got Amzat who made a huge name for himself out of nowhere by fighting twice in like what eight days. Yeah. Um, then fighting three times in like a month. Uh, they've completely changed the game on, and now you have all these guys that are have fought four or five times in three months. It's absolute madness. You saw a guy like Bobby Green mm-hmm. who has reestablished himself after being a pretty, pretty, uh, had a lot of stock on the rise back in like 2016. And then a few bad losses here, or there, he kind of, you know, retired for a bit, kind of lost all that value he had. You see him, sure, he lost like a week ago, but before that, he had won like four straight in, what, three months? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're seeing these guys come out of nowhere and just make huge. Yeah, fighters are just. He loves it. Yes. Dana said as such that he, he loves that shit. The guys are just, like, they're fighting and then they want to fight again about a month later. Like, that's. A big deal for them fighters are staying ready and i hope this is something from 2020 that continues on for the ufc i do too it's uh it's very interesting it's kind of been all or nothing like a lot of fighters it's either been we've seen them three four times since <clears throat> what May, or we haven't seen them at all in about a year yeah there's basically no in between so it's uh it's very telling um who like you know the, the, these guys that are staying active are really benefiting from it but in this potential matchup dom i i you know i don't know if if kevin holland like what his chances are but i'm happy to see him getting this platform to get this opportunity and shout out to Jack Hermanson for being game enough to take the fight. Yeah, really, this is a lose situation here for Jack, you know. Uh, he didn't have to take this, but the fact that he did, I think, says a lot about him, too. Agreed. He's a fighter, man. Mm-hmm. And I respect the shit out of him for just being like, I'll fight anybody. And now he's basically in a huge risk fight here against Kevin Holland. But... uh I love it. I, I love the. It's not a matchup that I ever thought we would see in 2020, but since it's happening, I'm all for it. I love it. Yeah, if you're Holland here, you're really in a win-win because if you win, obviously that's huge. Uh, but if you lose, you can't really justify not fighting out of the top 15 anymore. So I mean, he can't go wrong in this situation, and he could shock the world. I'm excited for that one. That's only a couple weeks away. Yeah, that's crazy how close that is, actually. But uh, we'll leave it there for now. And that's the end of the news. The news. Man, what a what a segment that was. That was a long one. We have not had a long one in a little while. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we're moving on 
to hashtag UFC Vegas 14, headlined by Paul Felder and Rafael Dos Anjos. We'll get to that in a bit. But we're going to start here. Uh, so are we starting with the women's strawweight fight, Dom? So technically, from what I saw, I've actually got Brendan Allen, Sean Strickland as the first fight of the night. I don't really know the order, but that's what I saw on a couple different sites. And then as the... Is the women's strawweight fight after that? Uh, then I've got Antonio Arroyo, Eric Anders, then Kay Hansen, Corey McKenna. That's the way we'll do it then. All righty. So we start here with a catchweight fight, 195 pounds. Don't see that too often. As we got Brendan Allen versus Sean Strickland. Following that, we got a middleweight, Eric Anders, the former Alabama linebacker. He's back against Antonio Arroyo. Then at women's strawweight, this is the one that the reason I'm asking is because uh, there's been, you know, some shuffling in the card here. You know, Brendan Allen being given a fight at the last second for this card. And then this fight has been listed on the prelims and on the main card. But Dom's got it third up here. It's Kay Hansen and Corey McKenna, two young prospects in the women's strawweight division. Following that, at middleweight, Julian Marquez. Going up against Saperbek, Safarov. Safarov's a guy who's been battle-tested. He's fought a couple of pretty decent names in that middleweight and light heavyweight divisions. Our co-main event at welterweight, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan versus Chaos Williams. What what a couple of names there. It's safe to say that's going to be on if you don't know, now you know, in my opinion. <laughs> that's probably my pick for fight of the night as well, <laughs> to be honest. But uh, our main event, another one that could potentially be a fight of the night, honestly. Lightweight, Paul Felder, commentator, cornerman, fighter. He does it all. He's headlining this card. He stepped in on five days' notice to take on the former lightweight champion, Rafael Dos Anjos. Yep. What a fight that's going to be. But again, we start at the bottom. Brendan Allen, Sean Strickland, Dom. Take it away. Brendan is 15-3, and three, five KOTKOs, eight submissions, 4-0 in the UFC, one of those being on the Contender Series, notable wins against none other than, none other than Kevin Holland uh, via submission. Also TKO'd Tom Brees. Notable losses against Trevin Giles at LFC 52 way back in 2016 via submission. Um, and he also lost to Eric Anders, who's on this same card at LFA 14 in 2017 via unanimous decision. Um, I talked about Brendan already on the preview last week because this fight literally got canceled the day of. Uh, so there's really not too much more to go into here. But he's coming into this on a seven-fight win streak. Uh, on the other hand, for Sean, Sean's 21-3, and nine KO, TKOs, four submissions. He's 8-3 and three in the UFC. I mean, that's, that's pretty solid. Uh, notable wins, also against Tom Brees. That was a split decision. And then Court McGee via unanimous decision. And uh, has notable losses to Santiago Ponzinibbio, a guy that we really are missing right now, but it's supposed to be back soon. But golly, if you guys don't know who Ponzinibbio is, look him up because he's a freaking animal. Lost to him via unanimous decision. And also, Noah has a notable loss to none other, none other than Kamaru Usman. So he's kind of a big deal. 
That was a unanimous decision there. Uh, but I picked my man, Brent, Brendan Allen, last week against Ian Heinish. I'm picking him again here. I've got Brendan's second-round submission victory. Interesting. Yeah, this is on paper. Um, I think I was counting out Sean Strickland quite a bit when I first heard this fight be announced. Just because Brendan Allen was originally scheduled to fight a top 15 and Ian Heinish, um, the fight wasn't able to happen. But then he was being given a fight a week later. So I had a feeling that this is kind of being set up to be a fight for Brendan Allen. But Sean Strickland's no joke, man. I mean, not just the record, 21 and 3, but you got to look at the actual names he's fought. And the fact that he's pretty battle tested in the UFC. He's 8 3. Uh, sure, he's got three losses, but two of them being the Ponza Nibio and Kamaru Usman. Come on, man. Those are two very good names. And you're right about Ponza Nibio, very underrated guy, mm-hmm. guy who's been dealing with a multitude of injury problems in the past couple of years, but a guy who could at some point be fighting for a belt for sure. We're talking about a guy that could even be a champ if it weren't for all those injuries. He's that good. Like, oh, I'm telling you people, if you don't know who he is, you need to go look him up. I recommend to go watch him versus uh, you know, Magni. Yes. That is a uh, demolition. But I think I am going to also go with Brendan Allen here. Brendan Allen, the younger guy, uh, he's definitely um, – I, I would say that he has a higher ceiling than Sean Strickland, but he's yet to be as tested as Strickland is. That, that win over Kevin Holland is the best win that either of these guys have. So he's already kind of have that. I'm going to go with uh, – I'm going to go with Brendan Allen by decision. Um, I'm going to be a play a little safe here. He is a guy that finishes his fights quite a bit, uh, so it might be a bit risky there. But Strickland is a—he's got a good chin on him. He's in his three losses; he's only been finished one time. That was actually his last loss, which was a spinning wheel kick. So, <laughs> not not a guy who gets finished too often. Um, but yeah, I do think Brendan Allen gets a big one here by decision. You said that was a catch weight, right? Yep. That's interesting. I mean, that that makes sense, though. I mean, Brendan already cut weight last week, so it's a good thing they're not making him cut again. Uh, what was it, 195? Yep, 195. Okay. Gotcha. Well, that'll be interesting. I'm excited. I'm glad they got Brendan a fight. Shout out to Sean for stepping in on short notice. Uh, this could be a good one for sure. Yep. So now we'll move on to middleweight Eric Anders, Antonio Arroyo. Uh, Dom? We got a bit. You got a big name here, Eric Anders, a guy who's headlined cards in the past. So. We sure do. He's a big uh, roll tide. Former Alabama football player, Eric Anders is thirteen and five, eight KOTKOs, one submission. He's five and five in the UFC. Notable win against Gerald Mearchart. Uh, notable losses. I mean, he's been in there with the best of them. His second UFC fight was against former light heavyweight champion Leoto Machida. He lost that via split decision. Lost to Noah's boy, Tiago Santos, via TKO. Um, Elias Theodoro, via split decision. And also lost to Khalil Roundtree, via unanimous decision. Uh, for Antonio Arroyo, he's 9-3. Four KO TKOs, four submissions. Eight out of nine via finish. We love that. Uh, two and one in the UFC. One of those wins, or actually, both of his wins on the Contender Series. So if you want to get real technical, he's 0-1 in the UFC. But we love the Contender Series, Noah. Uh, and seven of Antonio's eight finishes have came 
in round number one. However, it seems Eric, especially recently, has been in a lot of decision-type fights. Um, again, only was finished by Santos there via TKO. The other three notable losses were decisions. Two of those via split, which means one judge had him winning. But I've got Antonio actually getting the victory here over Eric Anders via decision. Yeah, this is a, this is a very tough one to uh, judge. Eric Anders has been a mixed bag in his UFC career. He is literally 5-5. Five and five. He's headlined two different cards, one being that card against uh, that fight against Leonardo Machida and then the fight against Tiago Santos, both of those being uh, fight night headliners. So the UFC definitely has at least at one point in time believed in Eric Anders, and he is a great athlete. Obviously, he was a linebacker at Alabama, which is one of the top five programs in the whole country for college football. But... He he hasn't he just hasn't quite been able to put it all together in his last fight against uh, Chris, Christoph Jocko, that happened back in May. Uh, that was a pretty boring fight, a fight that Jocko pretty much dominated the whole way through. Um, that Eric Anders didn't show quite a bit, you know, quite anything that looked like he had really made too many improvements. But then on the other end here, you got pretty much a pretty un big unknown here and Antonio Arroyo um, he's coming off a loss in his last fight to Andre Munez and then before that he had back-to-back wins on the contender series I think I'm actually going to go Eric Anders here I'm going to so- I'm going to err on the side of caution I'm going to err on the side of the guy with the more experience um, Antonio Arroyo could obviously come in here and make a big statement but I'm not quite, uh, I haven't quite seen it from him yet. So I'm going to stick with Anders here, and I'm going to go by decision as well. Uh, So back-to-back decisions for me, not really the way that I hope it goes, but, you know, that's that's the way it goes sometimes. And we're going to move into this women's strawweight fight that may or may not be on the main card. (laughs) Uh, Kay Hansen, Corey McKenna, Dom, floor is yours. Kay Hansen, seven wins, three losses, two KO TKOs, four submissions. That's six out of seven via finish. She's one and zero in the UFC. Corey McKenna, on the other hand, is five and one, two KO TKOs, one submission, one and zero in the UFC technically because that one win was on the Contender Series and it just happened back in August. She's fighting out of Team Alpha Male. She's got Uriah uh, Faber in her corner. And what I saw from her just a couple months ago in the Contender Series, she's got potential. She's only 21 years old. She showed a lot of tools in the toolbox back on the Contender Series. And I think she puts on another great performance here. I think that this is on the main card for a reason. A lot of people liked her on the Contender Series, including myself. And that's why I'm picking Corey McKenna here, getting a big win. Her first real UFC debut uh, on a big fight night card, ESPN+. She's going to get the job done here via decision for Corey McKenna. Corey McKenna by decision? Yes, sir. If you're talking, I can't hear you. You cut out. 
Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, stand by. That's the worst thing about these remote episodes here. Sometimes you lose connection with one another. Noah. Noah. Let me send him a text here really fast. Right when he was getting ready to do his picks, too. All right, I just sent him a text. We'll see if he comes back here. Uh, but this is a very intriguing fight for me. Again, like I said, Corey McKenna coming off a very convincing performance on the Contender Series. Uh, Kay Hansen is no walk in the park. This is a tough task for her. A lot of experience here. Uh, again, six out of her seven via finish. This is a really good matchup. I like that they matched Corey up with a girl like Kay Hansen. Uh, this is very intriguing. Noah? Oh, I'm back. You're back. I hear you. <laughs> I, so, uh, I was just feeling some airtime there. <laughs> good call, good call. But you picked uh, Corey McKenna by what method? Uh, it was Corey McKenna via decision. Via decision. Yeah, these are uh, these are two tough chicks here, man. Uh, while Kay Hansen... Seven and three, six of her seven wins by finish. That's pretty impressive. Corey McKenna's definitely got the um, a little bit more hype behind her due to her only being 21 years old, one of the youngest members on the whole UFC roster. Also, as you mentioned, fighting out of alpha male, that definitely helps. She's five and one. <sighs> Trying to. Yeah, this is a tough. This is a tough uh, decision to make here. It's a very well matched up fight. I love it uh, stylistically. This is a perfect fight for both women. I think to make a name, make a statement. You want to hear something funny? I just I didn't even realize it. Kay Hansen is also only twenty one years old. Yeah, this is this is prospect versus prospect, big time <clears throat> fight here. I think I'm going to go Kay Hansen actually. I think I want to go Kay Hansen by, I'll be a little fun with it. I'll do third round submission. Ooh, okay, okay. I like that. Very interesting. So I, I think it could be quite a grind of a fight all the way through. Corey has shown that she can grind out a win. So I think she could even be winning the fight. But I think uh, Kay Hansen's submission skills will come into play in that third round when they get a little more tired. Uh, sure, that doesn't normally happen. Because usually people get more sweaty. You don't usually see as many submissions later in the fight. But her last win was a armbar submission in the third round. So uh, she's proven that she can do it. There you go. And now we move on to uh, middleweight action again. Julian Marquez and Saperbeck Safarov. Dom, what do you got? Now, Mr. Julian, what's his nickname, Noah? The Cuban Missile Crisis. My, oh my, this man is coming out to finish. He is 7-2, 6 KOTKOs, 1 submission. Ladies and gentlemen, sound the alarm. That's our first 100% finish rate of the night on the main card. He's 2-1 in the UFC, one of those wins on the Contender Series, which was a knockout over Phil Hall's. And then also has a victory via submission over Darren Stewart. 
Um, so that's a huge win there. Darren Stewart's been making a name for himself recently and been in some really good fights. Uh, for Soprabeck, he's 9-3, 6 KO, TKOs, 2 submissions. That's 8 out of 9 via finish. But he's 1-3 in the UFC. I will say none of those are really too notable. I'm sure Noah might even go more in-depth on those UFC fights. Uh, but 7 out of his 8 finishes have came in the first round. Uh, I think this is a really fun fight. I think it's an exciting fight. Uh, but when a guy's name is the Cuban Missile Crisis and he has a 100% finish rate, you best believe I'm picking him. I've got Julian Marquez here. I have him on verdict via decision, but I'm changing that right now. Julian Marquez is coming out, getting the finish. KOTKO round number two. Yeah, I actually am going to agree with your pick. I'm going to go with Marquez by second round, TKO, KO. Um, I will say for Safarov, uh, his record might be a little bit deceiving. I, I wouldn't say that it's um, impressive, but he his fight with Jean Vellante, who's a guy that's been kind of hanging around the top 15 uh, for years now. Um, this was back when they were at light heavyweight. Um, they had a fight of the night. I remember watching that one, thought he showed some pretty good things. However, again, he hasn't been able to put it together. He lost to Tyson Pedro, which is a guy that's at Bellator now. Um, then he had his one win against Nicolay Nekumaruno. Yes, sounded out. Very good. No, that was not correct. But he had a decision win there. And then his last fight at UFC 248 in a submission loss to Rodolfo Vieira. So, um, yeah, his he had bigger names early on in his career. Um, he did show some things against John Vellante, but not enough for me to really see him uh, this fight going any other way. But Julian Marquez, the Cuban Missile Crisis, landing the big one to finish the fight in the second round. I love it. Now we're at our uh, co-main event here. Oh, oh. Which I'm just going to go ahead and say I think is going to be my fight of the night. Oh, my goodness gracious. We've got fireworks incoming. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan and Chaos Williams. Dom, you know the drill. We've got some welterweight action. Our only welterweight fight of the evening. Abdul is 10-2. and two. Are you ready for this, Noah? 10 KO TKOs. 10 wins, 10 KO TKOs, 100% finish rate, 4 and 2 in the UFC. Uh, notable wins against Nico Price. A couple notable losses here. He lost to um, uh, Omari Akhmedov, who's now a ranked uh, fighter. That was via split decision. And then most recently, lost to Munir Lazez via unanimous decision in a fight of the night performance. Um, if you watch the Fight Island Declassified documentary series that we broke down, uh, that was a featured bout uh, in that documentary. Unir Laziz, a lot of potential there. Uh, very good fighter out of the Middle East, a lot of hype behind him. So if you haven't watched that documentary, uh, go check that out. If you just want to hear a summary, of course, go listen to our podcast breakdown. That was one of my favorite episodes we've done so far. Um, but Abdul, all 10 finishes in the first round i guess i gotta get into chaos though chaos is 10 and 1 5 ko tkos one submission 1 and 0 in the ufc 
five of his six finishes in the first round, and he's coming into this fight on a seven-fight win streak. This is going to be nuts. This is going to be insane. Dare I say, chaos. But when I see a guy, Noah, listen, listen. Ten wins, ten finishes, all in the first round. Um, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan gets it done again. First round, KOTKO. Make it a perfect 11 across the board. I believe that these trends must come to an end eventually. Oh, no. Now, I am definitely uh, a believer in Al-Hassan. Um, I like his story. He, he's had a very tough uh, tough road back to the UFC. That last fight with Munir Lezez was incredible. Both guys looked like champions in that fight. Showed a lot of heart in that fight. But Chaos Williams is a guy that I, I also believe in. I don't think that uh, he's going to be um, a slouch in this fight. Sure, he might not have the uh, UFC experience that Al-Hassan has, but uh, he is quite a dangerous fellow as well. Also fighting at King of the Cage. Uh, so he's a, he's more battle-tested than your, than your average guy coming in here. Uh, I do think Al-Hassan gets the win. But I think it's going to be via decision and an absolute war. Oh my! Now, as you, what I meant by saying that they must come to an end is he he does have ten knockout wins and his all ten of his wins are by knockout and all ten of his wins are by first round knockout, which is insane, incredible. <laughs> that that Nico Price win looks better and better as you see with the heights that he gets to. I just, uh, I don't know. There's something about Chaos Williams that's telling me that he's going to be able to to bring it to Al Hassan all the same. If if, if this guess, fight goes the distance like you're predicting, it will definitely be fight of the night. Yeah, for that's sure. my prediction. I think it's going to be an absolute war. I could totally see either one of these guys finishing the fight early, though, but uh, especially Al Hassan. But I'm going to stick with uh Maybe I'd wishful thank you, but I'm going to stick with it. I like it. I respect it. So now we're on our main event here. Yes, we are. And this was a main event five days ago that we did not expect to be talking about. But we got Paul Felder and Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, it's, uh, it's a very interesting fight. We've here. got a big one. A big fight out of nowhere. What was already supposed to be a big fight, uh, RDA's return to lightweight. Paul Felder looked like he was retired, still ranked in the top 10, number 7, I believe. Stepping in on five days' notice, Mr. Paul Felder, everybody's favorite orange-bearded commentator, is 17-5, and 5, 10 KO TKOs, one submission. Uh, he's 9-5 and 5 in the UFC, notable wins. Uh, against Charles Oliveira, which is an amazing win. Uh, as days go by, it's just an even more convincing win. Uh, that was a TKO there. He went to a unanimous decision uh, with James Vick and then also got a revenge win against Edson Barbosa via split decision. Uh, he's got notable losses, though. Like I said, 
Barboza beat him the first time around via unanimous decision. Uh, lost to Ross Pearson back in the day via split decision. Mike Perry via split decision. And Dan the Hangman Hooker via split decision. Three out of four uh, notable losses in the UFC are by split decision. We all know that means one judge had uh, Mr. Paul Felder winning. That's really tough to swallow. you got to think, three split decisions, man. Imagine where he could be in those rankings if one more judge went his way. But unfortunately, that's not how the cookie crumbles. On the other side, we've got RDA, 29-13, and 13, 5 KOTKOs, 10 submissions, 18-11 and 11 in the UFC, 29 UFC fights. Uh, he's got notable wins against Cowboy Cerrone two times. Uh, first time via unanimous decision, second fight a TKO. He's got a KO win over Benson Henderson, unanimous decision win over Nate Diaz, unanimous decision win over Anthony Showtime Pettis, uh, a big submission victory against Neil Magny, uh, unanimous decision versus Robbie Lawler, and then also had a very good submission victory over Kevin Lee. Uh, some notable losses. Again, a guy that's been around the block a long time. Uh, he K- or got KO'd, I should say, by Jeremy Stevens. Uh, lost to Tyson Griffin. I had to mention Tyson Griffin from way back in the day. Lost to him via unanimous decision. Lost to Clay Guida via TKO. Lost to that guy named Habib Nurmagomedov. Hmm, never heard of him via unanimous decision. In a fight that always gets overlooked in Habib's career. For whatever reason, and the fact that RDA went on to become champ afterward just baffles me even more that it never gets talked about. But I digress. Uh, also got TKO'd by Eddie Alvarez when he lost the belt. Uh, lost to Tony Ferguson via unanimous decision. Lost to Colby Covington, unanimous decision. Kamaru Usman, unanimous decision. Leon Edwards, unanimous decision. And Michael Chiesa via unanimous decision. RDA does not back down from a fight is what I heard, Noah. What do you think? I would have to agree with you. <laughs> Um, this is tough. This is my fight of the night. I think we're going to see an absolute war here. Felder's no slouch to a war. RDA's no slouch to a war. Put it together. We're going to see a five-round battle. We're going to see fighting, uh, grappling from RDA. Uh, we're going to see great Muay Thai striking from Paul Felder. And I've got Paul Felder ultimately pulling out the victory via decision on five days' notice. Big, big, big fight here. Uh, could see it going either way, uh, but no matter which way it goes, I think we're getting a decision, and I think we're getting the fight of the night. Nice. We're going that way. Uh, I love this matchup. Uh, obviously, I wish Felder had more time to prepare, but obviously, based on your prediction and others like you, um, doesn't look like he even needs the extra time. That guy's game all the time. I want to give you a statistic. About I've been Rafael waiting on this. Andres. I've been waiting on this. So you just mentioned the the vast array of fighters that Dos Anjos has fought in his career. Now, did you know that his debut was against Jeremy Stevens back in 2008? Yes. In that debut, Jeremy Stevens dropped RDA with a vicious uppercut. Straight up vicious uppercut. Since then, 
RDA has never been dropped. Not once. That's true. When Eddie Alvarez beat him, it was standing TKO. RDA's ass has never hit the ground via punch since that night. And that was 12 years ago. He has fought. (laughs) That's crazy. He has fought Donald Cerrone twice. He's fought Habib, Benson Henderson, Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis, Eddie Alvarez, Tony Ferguson, Robbie Lawler, Neil Magny, Colby Covington, Kamaro Usman, Kevin Lee, Michael Chiesa, Leon Edwards. Not one of them have knocked him down. And I don't think it happens this time either against Paul Felder. Yeah. Um, I think RDA is criminally underrated even in today's uh, landscape. I know he might not quite be the champion level fighter he was back in 2015 or so. We know uh, the high standards that Dana White holds him to. Yeah. You, you've said, we've mentioned that multiple times that he says if you can beat RDA, then you're legit. Yep. I don't think Paul Felder's beaten RDA here. I think RDA makes his return to lightweight, and I think he gets the job done. Um, I'm actually going to go with a submission in the second round. Very interesting. I think Felder puts on a good fight. I I don't want that second-round prediction to pull anybody, make anybody think that I I think that RDA is just going to run through. Felder, I think it's a very tough matchup for Felder, a guy who wants to stand and bang. I think RDA is going to be looking to get him tangled up on the ground and try to get a limb. And I think that's just kind of the way it's going to go. But shout out to Felder for taking the fight. Shout out for RDA for being game to take a late uh, notice replacement. And really a bigger fight here for RDA, if you think about it, in terms of rankings, uh, even name value. Um, so... This is a very important fight. I'm I'm curious to see what RDA can do here coming back down to lightweight. If he gets this win, you know, where does that put him? I guess we'll talk about that on Monday, but this is big for both guys. For Felder, it's weird because, like, he thought he was retired. He's been doing the commentary and doing it so well, but now he's fighting a guy like RDA, unranked but a huge name, arguably the biggest name he's ever fought, really. Uh, so this is an interesting for both guys to see what could potentially come out of this fight. Agreed. But uh, that looks like it's going to be the end of our uh, preview here for hashtag UFC Vegas 14. Yes, sir. Shutting the book on another preview. We really do just be grinding them out, Noah. (laughs) We do. We really do. Now, Dom, for the rest of the week, Monday, obviously, we're going to be recapping slash reviewing all the main card fights that we just talked about that'll be happening Saturday night. Check those out on ESPN+. Plus. As for Wednesday, you know it's going to be uh, potentially special episode time. Right. We need to, we need to get back. We need to get into the routine we originally scheduled for November. So. Yes. Uh, so don't want to say anything yet, but be on the lookout for... Uh, you'll hear more on Monday if we'll be doing something on Wednesday. But um, considering the, it took us a couple of weeks to get this past Wednesday's episode out, we might owe you guys a little back to back, special, a little back to back. But uh, that'll be on Wednesday, obviously, because a little extra special. Of course. 
But Dom, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Diesely14. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at B-A-J underscore M-M-A podcast. Nice. As for me, if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram at N-T-Baker underscore, you'll be taken to our link tree, which provides you with links to all the platforms that we are on, both socially and just for the podcast in general. Um, if you get on there, our Twitter, Instagram, YouTube channel, Anchor page, Spotify, Apple, Google podcast, all the links are on there, along with the link if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. That's just to provide us with some financial support every month. All that money will go back into improving the podcast, whether it be the audio equipment improving or down the line if we want to do a video podcast. So that's what all your contributions will go towards, but we just appreciate you guys listening and supporting us in any way that you feel fit. But again, you can find all those links if you go to my bio at ntbaker underscore on Twitter or Instagram. It'll take you there. But with that, we're out. And we're going to see y'all on 